morning, church. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you uh, have one with you there to this morning, to Hebrews chapter 11. We were in this vicinity last week, and we're going to pick up another piece of what we talked about last week. If you missed last week, um, you can go online, catch it on our YouTube uh, channel. You can probably catch it still if you're subscribed to the live stream. Um, catch, it, catch the live stream version of it from last week as well. Um, we talked about the joy set before Jesus, but... Um, the chapter before is where we are today. He- Hebrews chapter 11. I'm picking it up at verse 8. I'm going to read uh, through verse 8, 9, and possibly 10, depending on how excited I get about the text. But here it is. This is the New King James Version. Um, it is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive, as an, to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in the foreign country, dwelling in in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. means his sons, Isaac and Jacob, also dwelt in that same land and in tents. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Today, as we open the word, as we get ourselves started, I want to, uh, I just want to share with you what the title is for me of this sermon, and that is Abraham Pact. Abraham Pact. What I want to remind you of in this whole, this whole story today is that when we were in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, last week, we were looking at what happened with Jesus. We were recognizing that uh, Jesus was, in fact, staying on the cross, not because nails could hold Jesus, but because the reality of, of God's decision, the reality of Jesus as part of the Godhead in his decision was that he stayed on the cross, as the Bible describes, for the joy set before him. I'm going to read that to you as well. It's chapter 12, and it says, Look, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and it is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 11 is an interesting chapter. 22 times in Hebrews chapter 11, the word by faith is used. It says by faith this, by faith that. And it goes through the litany of people, starting with Abel, who gave a better offering. And it says that Abel, by faith, gave a better offering than his brother Cain. And that in so doing, he proved his righteousness by his faith in God, by, in, by that faith that he felt in God. By faith, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, all the way through the Old Testament scriptures, it's stating that all of these things happen by faith. That's an important thing to recognize because we don't recognize really the by faith thing until we get into the New Testament realities. We start saying, well, by faith and righteousness by faith is a New Testament idea. The, the New Testament does not agree with that. It says by faith, that idea, that concept that righteousness is determined by faith is, an, is anchored in the Old Testament scriptures. And those of you who are, full, are, are strictly New Testament Christians, kind of 
ignoring those Old Testament passages, I want to challenge you to go back, read through Hebrews 11, and look at these stories as stories of faith. Look at these stories as they represent faith. So I want to take you now, after hearing 22 times by faith in chapter 11, that's where we would have been. If we were reading this story originally, if we had been reading this book originally, we'd we'd have gone through the story 22 times hearing the words by faith. 22 times having that repeated and repeated and repeated by faith, by faith, by faith. It's a marching tempo. By faith, these people did this. By faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Jacob, Isaac, Sarah, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And when you had gotten to the end of this, there's this this wrap-up that kind of just quickly covers some of the great stories of the Old Testament. I challenge you to go back and read all those stories as faith stories, but hear what happens. Remember, 12.1 had no, there was no signature stop there in the text. There's no, there's no change there. As it was written originally, there were no verses. There are no chapters. So it would have gone strictly from this by faith anthem into therefore. Therefore. You always, when you read therefore in the Bible, need to look ahead, look behind it. What is the therefore, therefore? Therefore. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that has so easily entangled. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame. I love the phrase, despising or scorning the shame. Remember, a cross was a shameful way to, way to die. Remember, a cross was a difficult, painful, and intentionally humiliating way to die. Scorning the shame. And has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The statement of the text is that it was by faith that Jesus was our model of faith. In the text, chapter 12 is telling us the faith that all of these people think, all of these people leaned on, was in fact the same experience that Jesus had. By faith, Jesus. Now, it's going to frustrate some of you to think of Jesus having to do something by faith. But in reality, that's what the text is saying. The text is describing the faith of Jesus. And so I want you to understand that in that moment, in that place, in that time, as Jesus kneels in the garden, I'm taking you back to last week, as Jesus kneels in the garden and begs God three times to take this cup from him, that he is calling out by faith to God, that in his humanity, his, his, his future understanding has been blinded. In his humanity, he doesn't see beyond the moment. In his humanity, he doesn't see beyond the cross. In his humanity, he doesn't see beyond the grace. And it is by faith, the same opportunity that you have, the same opportunity that I have, by faith. He stayed right there. By faith, he said, not my will, but yours. The text is telling us Abraham was able to do it. Abel was able to do it. Enoch was able to do it. Moses was able to do it. All of these were able to do it by faith. All of them met the righteousness of God 
the promises of God, the grace of God, by faith, Jesus could see the joy of restoration, the joy of the salvation of nations, the joy of the people who would call on his name for, for, for eternity by faith because they believed in the promise that was there in God. You want to read this whole thing and get the most out of it? Do what preachers do. We read the things that are around. We read the things that are being referenced to. Jesus is referencing Hebrew, or referencing Psalm 22. We mentioned this last week. He's referencing Psalm 22. So you want to see the big picture here? Read Hebrews 11. Read 12, 1 and 2, and then jump back to Psalm 22 and recognize Jesus is playing that song in his head. It's the anthem of the cross. It's the song that's going through his head as he's walking his way through this very difficult moment. You know songs do this for you. There have been times when I've been riding in my car, struggling with my faith, struggling and battling with something, and I turn on the radio. I listen to K-Love a lot, and I'll turn it on, and the right song will be there to answer the questions of my faith. The right song will be there to touch me, to take me forward with God by faith. By faith. So put the picture together. Jesus in the garden settles the story. He says, okay, I will go where you need me to go. I will do whatever you need me to do tonight by faith. And so when the text is telling us by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, I keep getting these out of order. It doesn't really matter. By faith, by faith, by faith, 22 times. The text is declaring that it is also true by faith. faced the crowd, he faced the nails, he faced the cross, he faced death, all by faith, to be killed, death, to be killed. If you don't understand that the text is trying to tell you that that's accessible to you, you've missed the point of the text. That is what the Bible is trying to say. When Jesus came to his limited limits of his humanity, he did, did exactly what you and I do. He had to go to God in faith, trusting that God knew what he was talking about. By faith, Jesus. So here's what I want to say. We look at these things, and we assume that we have to somehow arrive at the end immediately. That by faith, we have to arrive at the end. But the whole point of doing this by faith is that we don't have to arrive at the end. By faith, all we have to do is take the next step. When Jesus was in the garden, the only thing that needed to happen was Jesus needed to surrender in that moment to the complete will of God, trusting in God, believing the promises of God, just like you, just like me. So I want you to pick up Abraham for a minute. I want you to go to that passage we just read about Abraham. Abraham, by faith, started to pack. All I want you to see is Abraham getting out his shirts, starting to fold his shirts, getting out his stuff, starting to put his stuff together, getting, getting the camels, starting to put things on the camels. Abraham didn't have to get to the promised land. He just needed to pack. 
by faith, Abraham just needed to pack, get his stuff together, start the step that was in front of him right then. Jesus didn't have to face the cross immediately after that prayer. He just needed to go to Caiaphas' house, face Caiaphas. He had to deal with Caiaphas and his father-in-law. Once he had dealt with them, he had to move over and deal with Pilate. And he had to move over the Sanhedrin and then Pilate and then Herod and then back to Pilate. Jesus took these things one step at a time, just like you, just like me. I love what this text it invites us to join the race, to run the race. The Bible does not say, by faith, win the race. It says, we being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, just need to get in the race. It's not challenging us to be the victor. It's not challenging us to even get to the end. It doesn't talk about the end. It just says, set off everything that holds you back. Take off the weight. Take off the sin that entangles you. Let go of all those things that are holding you back and start the race. Start running. All it's asking you to do is get in the game. By faith, Noah built an ark. Right? By faith, Scripture says, by faith, he agreed with God and started building the ark. Did Noah have to have a completed ark day one? 120 years of day-by-day faith. By faith? You know what Noah's first day was? My imagination, of course. By faith, Noah's first move was to buy some nails. Just get started. Do the first thing. Get started with the first piece. So where's your faith struggling? What is God challenging you to do? What are you resisting that God is calling you to do? What is it that's holding you back? Is there a sin that's entangling you? Is there some weight of worry? We are surrounded by fear. Is fear holding you back? Faith is the antidote to that fear. But faith doesn't ask you to jump all the way to the end of the game. Faith asks you to take the next step. The next step in front of you. Take the one you see, and the next one after that, and the next one after that, and the next one after that. Faith is a step-by-step relationship with God where you trust Him for this moment, then you trust Him for the next moment, then you trust Him for the next moment. By faith, Noah went out and bought some nails. By faith, Abraham started to pack. By faith, Isaac believed what his father told him. By faith, Jacob believed what his father told him. By faith, by faith, by faith, they took the next step, the step that was there. The stories are there. If you look at the stories, you can see the battle that people have. You can see that people struggle with this. They go back and forth with trusting God and not trusting God, and trusting God and not trusting God. Therefore, therefore, The call for you and I is seeing the example of Jesus, looking unto Jesus to run. I don't know if you're going to do it. You might be sitting on your, in your living room right now saying, nope. You know what that means, right? This is the edge of your faith. This is as far as your faith goes. Your faith is good for the couch. It's not good for the running. Your faith is okay with seated, but you're not okay with getting up. Your faith is okay with believing there was an ark, but you're not so good with buying the nails. You see, by faith means that we take the next step. 
By faith means that whatever is in front of us, we do. The challenge of Hebrews chapter 12 is to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and to start running. Look unto Jesus, who is the author, meaning he's the one designing it, describing it before it exists, and the finisher of our faith. Did you catch the two pieces? He's the one who sets the starting line. He is also the one who gets us across the finish line. He is the one who gets us to the starting line. He's the one who gets us across the finish line, the author and finisher of our faith. Here's the cool thing. Here's the amazing thing about this. Jesus is standing there with Abraham when Abraham goes and starts to pack. Jesus is helping him, encouraging him, strengthening him as he gets walking out in the desert. Jesus is on the path with him every single step of the way. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me. God does not let us do this by our, our, on our own and by ourselves. He walks with us every step of the way. And each time you're not sure about the next step, get into the scriptures, get into your prayer life, talk to people who have faith for what you want. And join them in the next step. Start running. When Jesus is in that moment, kneeling there in the garden, asking for God to let him out of their agreement. When he surrenders himself to the sacrificial offering that he's about to make he is doing so by faith in what God can provide he is doing so by faith in the provision of God you see if we're going to do this we have to know that our lack is made up by God's abundance that what we don't have God has this is the challenge. We, we talk about this feeding the 5,000. We've mentioned it several times in the last several weeks. I think before we got started on, uh, on being secluded, we were talking about this. But I, I want you to, to remember what Jesus does with the disciples. He teaches the disciples about the provision of God by showing them that God steps in where they run out. Hey, guys, you feed these 5,000 people. And the disciples give him the answer. They give him the correct answer. They say, we don't have enough food. We have this one little kid with a box lunch, but that's not enough for everyone. You see, the, the human picture is to see not enough. The disciples are standing next to the ample provision of God. And Jesus said, if you can give me the little boy's lunch, I will show you the provision of God. What Jesus does in that moment is demonstrate to these guys, whom he knows in a few weeks he's leaving, that the provision of God makes that up, makes up for where you come to the end of your own provision. If God is letting you provide for yourself in something, he's teaching you something else. But when you get to that moment when you're at the end of your provision, that's when miraculous things are possible. Until you and I run out of being able to do it ourselves, there's no reason for a miraculous thing. When we get to the end of our own ability to provide for ourselves, that's where the miraculous comes in. People ask all the time, why are miracles only done in mission fields? Why, why do we see stories of, mi of miracles only in the missionaries' uh, lives? Because the missionaries run out. 
They're not provided for like you and I are. They have less to work with. You have your wallet. You have a church full of people around you. You have lots of options. And so God says, hey, we can learn how to use all of this stuff that is around you. It's okay. When you run out, however, that's where I step in. That's the deal. Will you trust, will you trust in the provision of God? Not just the provision of God. And maybe the second one's the harder one. You have to prov- trust not just in the provision of God, but you also have to trust in the motives of God. You have to believe that God wants the best for you. As a Christian, you have to get to the conclusion that the cup given to you is your cup. That even though this looks like something terrible, it is for you. Jesus will describe this as taking up your own cross and carrying it taking up what was given to you that you might be afraid of and carrying it forward. Trusting the motives of God. You have to believe that God is doing everything he possibly can to get you into heaven. He has never been trying to keep you out. It is not true in anybody's life. He's never tried to keep anyone out of heaven. It has always been true that he's trying to get you in. You have to trust the motives of God. You have to believe that God loves the people on this crazy little planet so much that he was willing to climb across to give us the opportunity to follow. Lastly, you have to believe in the grace of God. If we don't believe in the grace of God, if we don't get that the grace of God is able to cover all of our shortcomings. Now, I talked about your shortfalls before. When you don't have enough, His provision steps in. Your shortcomings are those places where you just completely blow the game. That's why we saw Moses' bad side. That's why we saw Moses lose his temper and kill a man. Why would God tell you about this great man of faith? Why would he tell you that this guy had this horrible sin in his life? Because you needed to know, and I needed to know, that God's grace covers that. Why was it that when Abraham finds himself standing before the Father, I love the story, God, when are you going to give me my land? How can you give me all of this promised land? I have no one to inherit it. Why give it to me? If you gave it to me right now, Eliezer of Damascus would actually be the one who inherited it. I don't have a child. God said, Abraham, go look at the sky. Can you count the stars? And I imagine Abraham stepping out of the tent with God, looking up at the sky, and seeing the millions of little dots in the heavens that you only see when you're out in the darkest of places and seeing the Milky Way cross the sky. He believes God. He believes that God will do that for him. He will build in him a nation that is bigger, more more numerous than the stars he's looking at in the sky. very next 
Abraham blessed. After the proclamation in that moment that he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, the very next thing Abraham does is come back to his God. Why does God show us? Because we need to know that the people who serve God are covered by the grace of God. That we can trust in his provision where we end up, where we run out, where, where we no longer have enough, God has enough. We can trust that he is motivated by love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Motivated by love. And we can believe we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of Here's what I want to ask you as I close in these last four minutes. Just take one step. Whatever it is in your life. Don't be afraid to do anything. Just press to the next step. Let the word light your path to the next step. Let the Spirit's call take you have to jump to the right. Stay in the right. Run the course that is set before you. Not someone else's race, not someone else's choice. Your race. Your race, your choice. You will provide all you need to get to the end of that race. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So you run the course on the plan. Face shortages that you see. You demonstrate that in God all Father in heaven thank you for the reminder that Abraham Abraham's first step to receiving the promised land was just to pass the test. Lord, thank you that what Abraham left in the land was a cemetery. The only piece he owned was a piece that memorialized that he had been there for the family he was sure you would bring after that. Thank you, Lord, that that family still knows where that is. That the testimony of Abraham's faith is still there. That the reality of your faithfulness to him carries forward to us. Lord, we are surrounded in the text, in your word, by such a great cloud of witnesses. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to take to heart trust your provision, we can trust your mercy, and we can trust your grace. In Jesus' name.